Well, welcome back. Hi, Jeffrey. Good squirrel. I'm doing great. I hear you have a, an interesting story of some reflection and improvement in your company. Yeah, we we had a very interesting retrospective this week. For the past four months, we've done an experiment where the technology department, about once a month, produces what they were calling an accountability document, which would basically say for each project, the team working on it would describe their current phase of work, what the what the outcome would be, and when the expected delivery date for that outcome. And we What's an example of an outcome? What is that? What kind of outcome do you mean? Is that like delivers piece of software to X? That's right. It's it it, it might be because it, it, it covers all of our technology projects. So it's it includes both internal projects as well as external ones. So an external one might be delivering a feature. We'll have this ability for people to do a second level sort in the report in the screen that should go live on next Friday, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it could also be something internal. Like we'll have the capability of doing a live migration of, of VMs by you know in a month, so, mm-hmm. so it could it, so it's not always an externally delivered project, and it and it the, we're talking about phase of work, so it's not the entire project. It could just be what's sort of the next deliverable. What's the next thing? I think that really gets to the point here. We're asking people to make a prediction that's falsifiable. And, sure. And then how does the rest of the business use that prediction? Do they go off and make contracts based on it and promise things to others and do a lot of Gantt charts? <laughs> no, not at all. That's a great question. But no, we have we have a very, uh, our model is we have a sort of portfolio management group that meets once a month, which is the steering committee. And uh, we have, we make the Academy document available to the steering committee. And it may be brought up in the steering committee meeting or people may look at it offline. And they do, they can use that to just make sure that they have a good idea of what the projects uh, that are underway. And really, the the point of the of the document is to allow people to ask questions if they have them. In my worldview, good tools are ones that allow you to ask questions, not ones that try to give you answers. So, but in contrast to many of our listeners, I suspect this is a very high trust environment. Certainly, much higher trust than many of my clients. Oh yes, it's 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 a very high trust. There's um, it's really a self managing department in technology. And they're expected to be to take on a lot of responsibility and and to make good trade-offs and good judgment. So in practice, there's a very explicit direction from the business, from the the founders, knowing that these dates are ones that are quite likely to be missed, that we're all familiar with the nature of software. And we're, there's no incentive for us. We don't want to give people any incentive to tell us dates that are padded and far out in the future. We want, you know, we just want to know kind of really what are you thinking? And the idea is for this to be a very low touch way. And it's it's not the case that anyone's coming back to them and saying, you know, you 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 promised this on the on the fifth, and it's now the twelfth. We don't have it yet. What happened? That that's that's not the nature of this document. It's really it's the idea is you make a prediction, and it's supposed to, in in part, provide that accountability so that people have alignment. They know what's going on, and really, I I had hoped that it would provide a basis for learning and reflection by the by the technologists that they could look back and and for their own purposes, say, how have we done versus our predictions? Excellent. So how's that working out? Sounds like it would, would work super and, and everything would be perfect. <laughs> well, in the retrospective, there, there were some elements and there, there has been actually some elements where it has worked very well. The surprise was, I was very surprised by the level of stress that some people reported in creating the document, creating the date. So even knowing that 
the date was not going to be used as a club to beat them with. And they, and they did describe that they did trust that. It wasn't that they secretly felt that. Actually, what came out was the stress that they would come up with this date and that once they'd given the date, even if no one was going to beat them in the club, that they would feel bad about missing it, that they felt stressed. They felt some an urge to cut corners and to take on you know, bad technical debt, to make bad trade-offs, essentially, against what they thought was right, just because they had written this date down in previously. And it sounds like that was an unintended consequence. You were not in a situation where you, Jeffrey, expected that the team would need or benefit from taking shortcuts and incurring debt they have to pay back later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This, we, 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 we don't, I mean, we expect people to be making good trade-offs about early delivery versus late delivery all the time and, and technical debt. And it was surprising to me that people would reported that this, that this date that was really for this alignment and uh, reflection purpose became something that distorted how they wanted to proceed. But I, despite it, the fact that it was arbitrary and artificial, they'd made it up. It wasn't like there was a trade show or a client expecting it or a contract written or anything. That's right. These these weren't extre- these weren't externally driven deadlines. These were their own estimates. And uh, exploring it a bit further, I, I found a couple of things that I found interesting. And first of all, I, I thought it was very really admirable that people did have this concern and it showed that they didn't want to let down their colleagues. In in practice, they, they weren't going to let down their colleagues, but it definitely showed that they had that as a strong desire to not let people down, which which I think is is great and admirable. The the other thing that really came out as we explored different people's experiences is we did find this strike this striking difference. That the, the people who were working on a team with a product manager, so they were doing more of the external feature driven stuff, they felt less stress. The people who were doing some of the internal projects where they didn't actually have a product manager working with them every day felt more stress. And that was that was really surprising to me. And it led to this aha on my part that uh, the the people who they can, when we've talked about principle number four in, when, in our series on the agile principles, and that was that business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. And I had always looked at that as something about uh, information as, as, and, and from the flow between the, the business and developers. And then that would lead to them to make trade-offs, good trade-offs together. And that part of this was that for an engineer to feel confident that they were making a good trade-off, they really need to have that stakeholder, that partner to collaborate with, someone who can reassure them that, yep, it, every, nothing's changed. We haven't made any crazy expectations based on the date you give us. So if you want to go investigate this other technique that you think might work better, we have time and space for that. That having that person they could talk to is an important part of the system. And that if we don't provide it to a, to developers, then we're really letting them down. That, that was, That's so, that, was such, that was such an aha for me. It was not what I expected. Absolutely. And what's also interesting is, uh, tell me if I've got this wrong, but if I understood you correctly, that assurance had already been given. So that was already something that they had heard and which they said they had heard previously. So they, they trusted that exploring, having time and space, not having a client imposed or external deadline was all stuff they knew. So even if they'd had a tape recording of a person saying those things again, that probably wouldn't have helped them. They needed an actual human with eyes and ears and, and 
and and uh, an ability to respond. Yeah, that's that's right. And so they, there is a, a sort of high trust environment, and it goes both ways. And they do trust that the, that they're that they are empowered, and the business does trust them. And but it, and that's but that's a very general case. And it turned out that the general reassurance that you're trusted, and that generally you're empowered to make these trade offs, didn't help in the stress of this specific trade off on this specific project right now. That was still useful to have someone to reassure them. And really, I look at this as providing information. It's a it's a it's a concern about the unknowns. Has something changed? And to have the stakeholder mm-hmm. and say, nope, it's still fine. This still seems reasonable. Or who might come back and say. You know, actually, this this something really funny has come up, and we really would appreciate if we can get this done sooner. Now, it's it's not what we thought previously. So, so mm-hmm. if I think about that terms, that it's a it's an attempt to this need for reassurance, in part is to limit the unknowns and exposure to unknowns. Then it makes perfect sense. It's one of those things that has retrospective coherence. After I've learned yep. about it, <laughs> I can understand why people felt that way. But it, mm-hmm. it was something I had failed to anticipate. So I, I think that kind of goes to our point about learning, which is we're really, when we talk about learning and we have these predictions, it, it, we're, we're not interested just in single loop learning. It's not just that, can we get better at making predictions? But it's, can we use the surprises that come up from our predictions to learn generally? How, how broadly can we learn? And I think this, I really value when we have a reflective process that that comes up with very unexpected areas of learning like came up this time. Mm-hmm. Well, that reminds me of a story from one of my clients that doesn't, well, it has, it has a reasonable end, but uh, I, not quite as satisfying, but I'm, I'd like to tell it if you don't mind, Jeffrey. I'd love to hear about it. So I have a client who has a, a very strict externally imposed deadlines. It's not this environment, but a, a, another circumstance where I used to be in e-commerce. We would write to Santa Claus every Christmas and we'd say, could we just have till the 27th, You know, just two more days? <laughs> and he never moved it, never wrote back to us from the North Pole. This wasn't e-commerce, but a very similar environment in which the external deadlines were completely inflexible and would never move. Right. And so the development team had had tremendous difficulty delivering anything at all, and my mission was to help them deliver against these deadlines. However, the great thing we had was a complete ability to adjust scope, and it was very clear, at least to me and to the product manager as business representatives, that cutting scope was perfectly fine. It was much better to deliver something by this completely inflexible, immovable date than it was to deliver every single thing. We knew we couldn't do everything and we were completely ready to cut scope and we did. So we did something that I thought would promote lots of good, both single and double loop learning. I thought it was a good way of sharing information. We used a thing called a burndown chart. And many of our listeners will know about that. If you don't, just go look it up. It takes about 10 seconds to to learn how it works. It shows you where you're going to finish if you continue at your current rate. And so we'd share that every morning at the standup. And we were on a very rapid daily feedback cadence. We were trying to complete new items, very small items every single day. So we would be able to adjust and we'd be able to say, we thought, hey, wait a minute, this bit's taking a little longer than we thought. Let's cut out features three and four, only get one and two done, and we'll meet the date. And it looked to me like it was all going very well. You would think that this would provide good feedback. It did. We found places where we could cut scope. All sounded good. However, the problem is that when we went to have a retrospective afterwards, one or two of the participants said, gee, Squirrel, we really felt tremendously pressured by that burndown chart. And 
in fact, we spent extra time at night, what you didn't know about. And we took shortcuts and felt great stress and strain, very similar to the developers in, in your organization, Jeffrey. And I felt very badly about this. I thought, gee, this wasn't my intention. I thought I had created a environment in which this would be a, a useful tool rather than an obstacle. So the conclusion we drew was for the next immovable deadline that we would keep the burndown chart more private so we would not show it every day at the stand-up. And that was, in fact, helpful. It did seem to reduce stress. We did just the same actions. The product manager and I would get together and say, it's taking a little longer. Let's cut this bit. We did the same scope-cutting activities, but we didn't share it with the team. And I didn't feel that was a really complete solution I would have liked to go round the retrospective loop a few more times. Unfortunately, my engagement ended, and I think the team is working differently now, probably has gone round that loop a few more times. But I found it interesting that the, they focused on the specific tool that we were using for learning and found that stressful, despite, again, having quite a high-trust environment and, in, in this case, having empowered business representatives ready to cut scope and visibly doing so. So that's very interesting. So you you were there providing the kind of partnership I was describing missing here, and you you were using this tool to to cut scope, and you'd hope that would be reassuring. And despite that, people were still under stress. Yes. And I, I one thing I think it does reinforce uh, it's, both stories here goes back to we I think we talked previously about theory X and theory Y and the model of how much people care and want the projects to succeed. Uh, to me, that's the strongest item that resonates through this is that people will act and and the way that they think is best to help the project succeed, even if it's not what you intended, even as much as the working late uh, or cutting scope. Uh, cutting scope was fine with cutting oh, corners and being taking shortcuts. Right. Yeah, cut, that, that was corners. not okay. Either of us wanted that. And both of us encountered that in our teams as an unintended consequence of behaviors that we thought were going to help learning. Right. And what is, so one thing it reminds me of here is how much Agile is not a formula, that it's not a set of steps. I can just tell people, oh, go have these elements, have these pieces, and you'll get the right outcomes. That It just, just says right here on page 26 that I'm supposed to have the stand-up and it should last seven and a half minutes. <laughs> if, I, if I do that, won't I, won't I get the outcome? That's right. And I, yeah, I think the answer is there's no guarantee. That really, what it what it matters is is not just do you have all the the people with the right titles and the right roles in place doing the right rituals, but what are really the dynamics between the team? You, you mentioned that only a couple of people reported this stress. It, it, I, I could right. imagine that with a slightly different team composition, no one found it stressful at all. Or, Absolutely. Or, and I've used that exact same technique in other circumstances where that didn't right. happen. Or, or it could be that everyone found it stressful. And we don't really know how people feel about it, how people are experiencing it until we ask. <laughs> and Which brings us back to principle 12, regular reflection is vital to being successful. That, that's right. And, and when you and I talk so much about the uh, communication techniques and the ability to have good communication, it's really for the purpose of overcoming these kind of problems because you're not going to be able to discover them with a simple checklist you know did 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 from the observables you know you couldn't look at the the team and know that they were taking shortcuts that you didn't want them to take you you couldn't look at them and know gosh they they look really stressed <laughs> yeah they looked fine to me but i found out later they weren't right. so um uh, I, 
and I imagine that's the case for you too. Is that right? That you you would have picked up on this sooner if you'd realized that they were having that level of stress and worry. Oh, absolutely. And it really it took the it took the sort of deliberate. You know, we said this was an experiment. Let's have our reflection. How's the experiment going? To really surface this and value that learning and value that people felt comfortable sharing it. So this. This this need for reflection, for conversation, to be testing that what's the dynamics that we have uh, happening in the group is is so important and so much more important than do we just have we hit all the checklists? Do we have the right static elements in place? Which is why I usually start with improving relationships and communication rather than specific practices. That's right. Well, thank you for letting me tell my story, Squirrel. I appreciate it very much on my mind this week, and I appreciated hearing yours. And of course, we've said before we'd like to hear more stories from our listeners and the series is called troubleshooting agile so if you would like us to help you troubleshoot we'd sure like to hear from you at the addresses you can find on troubleshootingagile.com that's right we'd love to hear some more some more questions and scenarios that people have been wrestling with and we can share our experiences i'm sure that we've probably experienced many of the problems that our listeners face and uh, would love to compare and contrast our experiences Absolutely. I think, by the way, Jeffrey, we may have even one in the can from a a listener already. So uh, look out for a question from a listener coming as a podcast topic quite soon. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Squirrel.